Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John, and joining us today is a very special guest. We have Thomas Hegstrom Oki. Did I say that right, Thomas? You did, actually. That's perfect. <laughs> All right, perfect. Uh, of Famous for doing very well with Blood Angels. I remember uh, not too long ago, I guess it's probably about six months now, he did very well at the Boise Cup with them, also did pretty well at the SoCal Open. And we thought with the blood of ball changes that it would be awesome to have Thomas on to talk about Blood Angels. So joining me as always is my co-host, Nick Nadavati, who is one of the best 40K players in the history of the game. Been playing since he was, I don't know, a child prodigy. Now he's just an adult prodigy, so it's not near as cool. But uh, he's fantastic at 40K. He's going to help us break it, break it down. Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to Thomas. Tell us a little bit about him and uh, ask our first question. Sure. Thomas is a diehard Blood Angel player from the West Coast. He's basically the only guy who's been doing anything relevant with Blood Angels that I'm aware of for... A long time now. Um, Blood Angels do have some bit more teeth, and they are starting to pull some GT wins. Um, but even when they were down the dumps, Tom stuck it through and is a true diehard Blood Angel fan. So I'm really excited to get someone of his experience with the Army uh, on the podcast to talk about what he is up to with the Blood Angels. So without further ado, Tom, say hi, and why don't you introduce us to your list? How are we doing, guys? Um, thanks for having me on. This is a, a real feather in the cap. Um, you guys have a great podcast and, uh, I appreciate you having me on, um, list wise, uh, the, the list pre, pre blood of ball list or post post ball. Uh, let's do your, your post ball, the, the one you're most happy with right now. Like what would you take to a GT tomorrow? Sure. Um, most of it is the same. Um, I kind of had, uh, it was blood of ball was great because, and, and we'll get into it, but like, it basically just kind of like made everything that I already wanted to take and everything that was already good in the list better. So, um, but what I take is a, uh, it's a, it's a character suite and then a couple of large units and then a lot of, a lot of, uh, scouts, um, to kind of fill out, uh, stuff. So it's two battalions and a Vanguard, six units of, uh, of, close combat scouts um, that uh, that are just fill out my troop slots. And then I have uh, the Sanguinar, um, Lamardes, uh, a two right now two librarians with jump packs, uh, just four swords and uh, and pistols. Uh, a let me okay, sorry. Um, two sanguinary ancients with uh, with the, the with swords, sanguinary the in carmine blades. I always forget the names of them. Um, the a smash captain, a um, couple of priests, two sanguinary priests with jump packs, and then the the chain swords. And um, surely I'm missing something here. I think that's I think that's right 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 about where I have it. And then I have a 15 man death company with five thunder hammers. The rest of them are running uh, bolters and chain swords, and then uh, two. 10-man sanguinary guard squads, all with swords, well, sorry, eight swords, two fists in each unit. And that's about right where I'm at. It's it kind of like teasing points one way or the other after that, like maybe dropping a sanguinary guard model or two, uh, and then 
like maybe adding some Infernus pistols or some different weapons on some different guys. Um, but that's that's kind of the list right there. Awesome. So thanks for that breakdown. There's some very Blood Angel characteristic things, I suppose. You know, there's a lot of smashy characters. There's your Sanguine Regard. There's your Death Company. Uh, a lot of scouts um, and double battalion. Now, you see a lot of double battalion lists for Blood Angels at the minimum because they are super CP intensive. Do you find that that is enough for you? Or how do you spend your CPs generally? Yeah, so it, it is like you're gonna you're gonna. Um, it's almost a good thing in a way that the that the Blood Angels um, didn't get the uh, access to the the one CP, bring lots of extra relics stratagem that Space Marines have because I probably would have uh, <laughs> overspent. <laughs> yeah. So um, th- that being said, um, I have to I have to spend one pregame for the way that I want to play the list. I'm running double sanguinary uh, ancients so that I can have the, um, uh, that I can get that plus two move to jump packers uh, banner that, the, that, that was brought out in Blood of Ball. And then my, my starting relic is the banner, the standard of sacrifice for the five up fill no pain for models within six. Um, so I have to spend one, one CP pregame and then, sorry. Sorry, sorry yeah, a follow up question on that. So you're not interested in all the, uh, the fancy relics you have, like the three damage hammer or the four damage hammer, sorry, the angel's wing, which I think is one of the most popular, but angel relics, CP regen, none of that stuff is up your alley. I mean, if you, if you had access, like I said, if I had access to the, to the one, one CP, get a relic thing, then I probably would, but like I'm, I'm limited to two, two relics, right? Two extra relics, three, three total. Um, so you could spend a CP cause I, they got, I, I'm 90% sure of this. It's been a minute, but I'm 90% sure that you could just, you can pay a CP to get an extra warlord trait. So that's where I would be like, okay, maybe if I need to, I'll spend that extra CP to get the four damage hammer on the, uh, because it's a warlord trait on the smash captain. But the smash captain is like, he needs to go out and smash. So I don't want to make him my warlord because that's just kind of like giving points away most of the time. Um, it just I, it was interesting to me. I get why you're only limiting yourself to two relics. You don't have that strat. It's just your two relics of choice, the plus two move and the female pain banner. Um, a lot of people would go for I think the most common thing I'm seeing is like the female pain banner and angel's wing on a smash captain, or that new relic for librarian and dreadnought and things something like that. Just curious. Yeah, no, um, so the big thing the big thing is that if I were to spend three, and every once in a while I will. Um, if I really feel that I need to, I will spend three and I'll bring an extra relic, which that, which is going to be the Angel's Wing. But I never put it on the Smash Captain. I'm always going to put it on a Librarian. because, And I bring that double Librarian specifically now. Um, previously to Blood of Ball, I could only afford one. But the, the big thing that I would do is that guy always would get the extra relic. Um, because the plus two move relic didn't exist. So the two relics I was running was the Standard Sacrifice. And then I would pay a CP to bring... Uh, the no Overwatch jump pack, the Angel's Wings on the Librarian because he can then double move. So I can do one of the big old stretch out. I'm going to come get you moves with you know either beginning of the game with the Death Company with Forlorn Fury or uh, drop in a unit um, and three six charge them, and then the then that Librarian can you know move twice and and charge and get in there and and really hold up a lot of Overwatch right. Um, yeah. that, that's pretty important mechanic uh, for the Blood Angels. Let's talk about those first turn charges and break it down for maybe some of our newer listeners that don't know how Blood Angels in essence cheat 
in my opinion. Oof. Um, <laughs> Such harsh language. Ooh. Well, I've been touched pretty bad by Blood Angels, so I just uh, I, I got caught off guard because um, I didn't realize they could redeploy uh, on the t- first turn. So that was pretty interesting. So I just, if you want to go through some of that and kind of explain sort of like you don't necessarily have to pull off any of these first turn moves, but w- what they do is it forces your opponent to play conservatively, which gives you a leg up, I feel like, in ITC missions as far as like board control and that kind of stuff. So I don't know if you want to speak to that for a second. Yeah, let's just break it down so everyone's aware of how they all work and then how you use them, when you use them, that kind of thing. Cool. Uh, so, the, the, I mean, the major one, the first one, and the reason that you're always, any good Blood Angel list is going gonna, is gonna to bring Death Company is the 2CP stratagem that uh, happens at the beginning of the first battle round before the first turn begins. It's called Forlorn Fury. Um, and it allows them to make a move and an advance move with that move before before the game. And so they can reposition uh, a big fat unit of Death Company, which can go up to 15 guys, can carry, you know, they can have uh, uh, jump packs and stuff. So you're looking at uh, adding 13 to, uh, what, 18 inches of extra threat range before you then move again another 12 inches. Um, and, uh, and, and so that's a lot, like 20, it's like something like 25 to 30 inches extra threat um, of movement before your 12-inch charge, right? And then that's not considering the fact that now post-blood of ball, you that move, the, not not the before the game move, but the the second move there can be a 14-inch movement if you just stretch your unit back. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little complicated here. Forlorn Fury allows you to move before the game begins and um, and can make it so that you, where people think that they're safe, they're all of a sudden not safe. Um, and then the other major one that people use is the, well, there's two other strategies they can use on, I think it's called on Wings of Fire. You pick up a unit that's already on the table and you can redeploy it for two CP somewhere else on the table more than nine from an, uh, enemy units. Um, and then the final thing is, is that either a unit's arriving from uh, some variety of deep strike or, um, is you, or Wings of Fire, because Wings of Fire does say that it's a redeploy, uh, a deep strike kind of like redeploy type mechanic. Um, for 2CP, that unit can have a 3D6 charge. And it's not a 3D6 drop the high lowest or anything. It's straight up 3D6. So you still have to be within 12 to charge, but then your guys could charge 18 inches, for instance. Yeah, so Budding just have some really cool ways to deep strike and charge. Uh, and really there's reliably. No, where do you go, John? I was going to say, and there's nothing that prevents you from doing that on turn one, which is where the big... Oh, as long as they're deployed right? on the table, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, so... Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, just, I, there's a lot of deployment options. They can get you turn one. Either if you're just running really far across table with Death Company, with Foil Inferior, like we just talked about. Or they can even just redeploy and deep strike charge you. And of course, there's natural deep strike charges very reliably. So the Blood are pretty fast, long story short. Yeah, they, 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 they'll definitely reach out and touch you surprisingly uh, far away. And then, and then the, the flavor, you know, versus like say armies like uh, Gene Stiller Cult or uh, White Scars, the, the the big thing that they have going for them, or even Raven Guard, the big thing they have going for them is they still have to jump packs, right? So that during the charge phase, they're moving over uh, enemy models, so you can't really screen out as well. Right. I'm sure that was one of the FAQs that you were really happy to see when they brought that back. When they brought that, yeah, it it made it it made it a lot more playable. So um, a couple interesting things there, which I, I think are a little controversial in my opinion, maybe not in yours. Uh, I personally really dislike that company. I think they're not a good unit at all. And you're like every good Blood Angel player is taking them. So this is why you're the expert here. Every, um, every good Blood Angel player 
should okay so here's here's the thing i have a bias okay um and and i'm gonna just throw it out there and, and you take it as however you want i am uh i love 40k and i love everything that i love almost everything that games workshop does i don't like that they have kind of bamboozled us by saying oh we're not going to get rid of regular marines but then at the same time they're kind of just doing that with they are getting rid of regular marines so when i initially a couple of years ago said i'm going to play blood angels one of the things, one of the reasons why I was like, I was like, I can find some good units and play with a bunch of stuff here that doesn't, uh, it doesn't require me to use any sort of Primaris Marines. Um, and I think that Blood of Ball really played to that because honestly, I, anything that's a Primaris Marine, you can bring all the Primaris Marine stuff from Blood Angels, but anything that you bring, you're kind of at a disadvantage. Like there's better ways, like if you're like, hey, I really like Primaris Marines, Unless you're like a diehard fan of Blood Angels where you're just like, I just always paint all my guys red and I'm always going to play Blood Angels no matter what. You can bring Primaris Marines in better ways. Like almost every other Space Marine chapter brings them better. So Right. Like I've seen people try to do like bricks of Blood Angel intercessors with female paint and the banner. And it's like Iron Hands just do that a million times better. I get well, it. I mean, hilariously, even even uh, the, their successor chapter now, uh, because now they can bring the standard of sacrifice in with the uh with the um what are they called the angry marines and the other names flesh tears tears. flesh tears can now for cp get the standard of sacrifice which was the thing that they couldn't do before um but now the the flesh tears bring a better primaris uh gun line a better blood angel gun line than blood angels can bring yeah which is actually hilarious because they have that reroll the wound or is it plus one or something yeah, well, and they they move they move faster, and then they ha- I mean they have a they have access to a cheap chapter master, you know, and the standard yeah, sacrifice. They, have, they have that awesome dude from Forge Rules I'm talking about. I don't remember oh, his name. oh yeah, no, uh, that's um that's the Lamenters. The, oh, Lamenters. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah, and so the the Lamenters too would would be ones that you know they can they could probably well, they they I mean they're the big thing is is that they can they have cheap chapter master with reroll to hit with um with Gabriel Seth for uh, flesh tears. Gotcha. So, anyways, back onto your list. Um, the Death Company is kind of before we go on that tangent. The reason I don't like them so much, um, and admittedly, they are a lot better in the new ITC format where it's deploy first, go first. You know, with a hundred percent certainty, you're going first or not. So, it lets you really use their role. Um, but in the alternating formats, that some things some formats still use, or in the ones where there's still a seize potential, the Death Company unit is one. You kind of want to deploy it, right? And then you want a forlorn fury up the table and just go smash stuff on turn one. So what's stopping you from just going second and then being SOL with this unit of death company that costs you 300 some points? Uh, hang on just a moment. Um, sorry, say that one more time. Yeah, so in, in formats where you can go second, whether you don't know if you're going second when you're deploying, it's especially so powerful in those where this is such especially detrimental in the formats where you're not sure if you're going first but in any format you can go second and your death company whose whole shtick is move forward for turn before the game starts with forlorn fury then move then charge maybe fight twice do a whole bunch of damage on turn one that's great it doesn't work if you're going second because what are you gonna do forlorn fury and then go second and die so what is why do you like a unit so, that's only good fifty percent? Well, okay, well, I, let me, I'll give you I'll give you a great example from SoCal. Um, I played I got to play uh, both John Lennon and then I also got to play uh, Ruben 
uh, I think it's Fernandez. I can't remember for sure. Yeah, it's Fernandez. Fernandez, his, his teammate. So I played Ruben. I, I luckily, I lucked my way really honestly into a three and O day one. Um, I had great opponents day one. Um, my, but some of them had just, uh, I, I mean, I, I did play well. I, I think I outplayed a couple of them, but they had some bad luck and I had some good luck. Um, but I come up against Ruben day two. He's got a nasty list. He's already taken out uh, players like Don Hoosen or, you know, at the time, the, the champion, uh, the ITC champion. Um, Brandon Grant. Brandon, thank you. Um, and so everyone's kind of like, oh, well, you know, Blood Angel's doing well, but, you know, keep the dream alive. But, you know, Ruben's going to get him. And honestly, Ruben should have won that game. I, I made uh, a couple of big mistakes based on just not knowing. Um, how their list, how how uh, all of the nuances of the Space Marines worked, right? And I macro I knew, but not the kind of the micro. Right. This is right when they just first come out, so right, and they were super nasty, right? Um, but anyway, I didn't know all of this, the the smallest nuances, and so I kind of I made a couple of uh, big errors that really should have cost me the game. And then his his dice luck was just garbage, and I and I pulled it out. Um, but I it was the only game that I actually went. I, there were other games that went first, but it was the only game that I actually used Forlorn Fury. Now, the biggest thing that throughout my two seasons of playing that I found was I don't actually want to use Forlorn Fury. It's ex- you mentioned earlier, you know, it's, it's CP expensive, sorry, CP intensive, and you don't want to, and, and you've got a lot of stuff to spend on. Well, I didn't want, I've never wanted to actually Forlorn Fury, right? You, you, you mentioned, oh, they're just, you know, this unit that's going to go and do some damage and then get blown up. You're totally right. They are a crystal hammer. There's no way to make them better. I mean, even Blood of Ball now where you can spend a CP to give them a five up, fill no pain. It's not enough. They're just going to die. They're all going to die. You, you know that. Go, you're putting them in the list, running them. You know that they're going to die. It's a chess piece that you're using to, to get something out of your opponent. And there's multiple things you can get out of your opponent. And the biggest thing that I was able to do, and Ruben set up, you know, expecting, hey, you know, maybe the death company come get me. And I don't know that he realized how fast they could move or, or, or how much damage they would do. But I took out, uh, I took out a unit and a half of his centurions, even when he, even when he used um, transhuman, transhuman on 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 my turn one, right? Um, and so that was a big, that was a big deal uh, that hurt him a lot. And then, uh, of course, he killed them in return. But I expected that. Um, but it was the fact that I moved up and did that. Then I win the game against him, and then I come up against John the next game, his teammate, and they had talked about it. And John immediately, the biggest question he had, the biggest one, the thing he wanted to know, because nobody knows about Blood Angels at this point, right? Because Blood Angels are, you know, garbage. Um, and so he's worried about me, and he makes his whole deployment based on, on this idea that my death company are going to be able to forlorn fury and get into his stuff. So his entire army is deployed in a very specific way to, to, to dodge that bullet. While in the back of my mind, I'm thinking the whole time, this is great. How did this happen? How did I luck into this situation? Because... Nine out of ten of my games for the last two years, the death company don't ever end up on the table to start. Like I, I keep them, you know, in I go, you go deployment. I deploy them last to kind of force the situation of my opponent, especially if my opponent knows. It works either way. If my opponent doesn't know, then I'm going to probably get them with with forlorn fury. Now, obviously, it's a in a lot of situations I'm going to warn them, and and, and right. I'm kind of warning them, right? And I'm and I I, I don't want to do a gotcha, but at the same time, I'm almost playing the. Uh, I'm almost playing the, the, yeah, yeah, the, the, the Sean Naden of, hey, right. you know, maybe you should kill this thing, you know, so obviously I can, you know, do the thing that I want to do, right? And so I'm, I tell them, hey, here's what the death company can do to you. And so in that situation, John, you know, 
had to had even if he you know kind of was like okay well this is not the I, I can work with this it's not that big a deal he had to honor the threat of the fact that my death company could come across the table and get him right so it made him deploy in a way that allowed me to be like okay cool and then just put the death company in reserve um, because that's what I want to do and that's the, one of the biggest things that I do when I play the list is the death company don't start on the table the death company are always going to get deployed into reserve um, because honestly if somebody goes if I go second this just like you said that situation uh they're gonna especially in, a, in a, an environment now with like thunderfire cannons and the, and the like the death company are just gonna get picked up turn one they're, they're they're all gonna die um and i'm not gonna get to use them and i just spent you know 300 and whatever points on a unit that was just a easy waste of time I mean, easily destroyed by my opponent right like they didn't even have to spend that much effort on it um so yeah no i definitely nine out of 10 times, unless I know that I'm going first, like on that it, game four against Ruben. So, I mean, he, he had the opportunity to seize, right? But in, I, I played the odds because he didn't have a Thunderfire Cannon. He didn't know, like he, he wasn't going to be able to reach out and blow my death company off the table. And Forlorn Fury happens after I know when the seize roll is. So at the very least, I can always play in a way to to get them out of line of sight, right? If I have to, I can spend that two CP and say, okay, well, I made sure that every model in the unit is 13 inches away from the inside of a magic box or behind a wall or whatever. And then if I'm forced to, I can at least get them out of line of sight from most things. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Essentially, the long story short to your answer is if they don't respect the death company, you can just go kill them with them. And if they do respect the death company, they have to play in a very defensive way, which kind of forces some moves for you, um, which is which is largely beneficial to your strategy. Is that right? It's yeah, Ron point. Yeah. And, I mean, in addition, I want to wait. I do want to wait because now death like death company, or sorry, but Blood Angels wanted to wait before. I always played for a turn three strategy, right? Um, trying to go second, get their reserves in first, be able to bring my reserves as a counter, you know, a beta strike. Um, a counter strike, um, and now even better, I uh, <laughs> even better now during turn three, I'm getting extra benefits, right? You know, I, I have that extra attack from you know Savage Echoes. Uh, so yeah, like that's that's how I want to play, and so that's one of the things that is key about the Death Company. And then honestly, if I get to do what I want, if I get to have that beta strike, even if I know that I'm just going to go blow up some screens and stuff like that, the Death Company are going to blow up a lot of screens you know your it's chain- every screen that they can realistically declare a charge on right yeah the chain well it, you know the chain the chain swords at that point you know or they're hitting uh you know with when you when you when you put all the buffs together the standard chainsaw guy is getting eight attacks you know re-rolling to hit wounding you know on threes and twos re-rolling ones to wound and uh and and at minus one right and it, if i've got extra stuff going on like if i if i pray if i pick the right prayer and do the extra stuff then i get what i get to do is i get to uh i get to actually uh roll the prayer the the blood angel prayer for the extra damage you know what i mean can we can we break all that down so i I can yeah i mean you want to break it down right now or or yeah yeah let's just talk about like what your stacking buff options are um so that you know people that are listening to this because let's be honest nobody's really an expert on blood angels right now um Except for maybe you and Steven Box, so like the two guys. Hey, I, I, Steven's Steven's a great guy. I, I really like Steven. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say that uh, Steven Steven's a, a gentleman scholar, and he actually reached out. He he had the um, he was nice enough to reach out and ask me my opinion on his list, which was like a 
huge feather in my cap because he's just a just a great individual. Very cool. So yeah, let's let's break down how how you stack those buffs and um, sort of what the opportunity cost is, right? Because obviously, if you're choosing certain buffs, then you don't get access to others at the same time. You know, what be the chaplain buffs or whatever. Well, so. yeah, I tend to I tend to try to bring just everything that a everything that makes sense for for the unit my unit selection, right? Um, the the first one the first one of course is is the Sanguinar. The guy is a straight up beat stick by himself. Um, but he gives the plus one attack aura. So it's units within six get plus one attack. So there's that. Um, I, I uh, double librarians. Um, one, uh, they run the same power at this point, um, which is, you know, they're just basically redundancy. You know, I, I recognize the threat of units like the, uh, the uh, Space Marine, the new Primaris guys. I can't think of their names right now. The... Eliminators. Uh, eliminators, right? thank you. Yes, the Eliminators yep. or other things that can reach out and blow characters up. And the a, a, a Jump Pack Librarian is pretty fragile. Um, so they're both running the Move Again Power, the Wings of Sanguinius, I think is what it's called. And then they're both running uh, the Unleash, the Fury and Rage Unleashed, Unleashed Rage, the plus one attack to a unit. Um, so I'm going to hit whichever one of my big units that I'm going to use the 3d6 charge on and make sure that all the models are in range of all the buffing characters they're going to get an extra plus one attack from the, from the librarian. So I'm already two attacks extra over the top. Um, I'm going to try to go to turn, th- wait until turn three. So I'm getting an extra attack on the first round of combat for the blood angels there. Um, so now you're talking about plus three attacks on your basic guy, uh, death company, get an extra attack on the charge. So your basic, de- your basic death company comes with two attacks base. He'll get one for the charging. He'll get one for being a, bl- uh, being a space Marine. Uh, so that's four attacks. Then you add another three on because of the Sanguinar, Unleash Rage, and uh, Savage Echoes. And then his final one, his final one for a Chainsword guy comes from having a Chainsword. Uh, so you, that's eight attacks per model. Um, and then seven attacks for each Thunderhammer model, which is, that's that's just silly. 35 Thunderhammer attacks that are, and, and every, one of the things that everyone tends to forget too is that with the, uh, combination of the sanguinary priest, which is the next buffing character. So units within six get plus one strength and the plus one to wound on the first round of combat. A guy with a chain sword is wounding somebody that's at strength. That's a toughness four. your standard guy. They're wounding everybody on two. Um, and then the thunder hammer guy, you know, you're looking at, Oh, Hey, I'm strength eight base. Well, okay, cool. Now I'm strength 10 because of the plus one strength that that's then doubled. So, you're wounding a knight on a three, but oh, it's plus one to wound on the first round. So you're wounding a knight on a two. Um, and then, you know, turn four with the doctrines, AP minus four, the knight doesn't even get a, a regular save of any kind, for instance. Um, and uh, and then it's just flat three damage. You're just, you're, and then it's seven attacks each. And then uh, for the death company, at least, I, one, of the, one of the choices that a lot of people like to make is they like, they like Astaroth over Lamardes. Um, and I was running Astaroth before the change to do, to uh, prayers, but the prayer change I don't I like sure things I don't want to have to deal with a situation where Astaroth re- rolls a three into a or rolls a one or a two into a one or a two if I have to spend a CP right I've had that happen mm-hmm. to me that that right there can ruin your whole game so Lamardes for about the same number of points only gets to pray once but he automatically gives Death Company both reroll the charge which Astaroth doesn't but also uh, re-roll to hit automatically. And then on top of that, he can pray, you have a prayer. So you're like, okay, well now I pray for the, you know, the blood angel prayer of six is the wound, area AP minus four, or, 
you know, one of the other prayers that they've got in there, you know, uh, just a standard reroll to hit so the rest of the army can reroll to hit or something like that. Um, but at least with the death company, I'm guaranteed that when that hammer comes down, you know, I'm going to, you know, eight and seven attacks, you know, rerolling to hit, they're regularly hitting on threes. Uh, you know, they're going to hit on fours with their thunder hammers, but they're going to get the full reroll now because the rerolls you've been rewritten, you know, from past that the, the uh, lamarde has got a new, um, data sheet. So it doesn't have the old data sheet, like poor fucking, uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I don't know if we swear. You're fine. Poor, if it happens, it happens. Don't okay, worry about cool. it. Poor, um, uh, the chapter master, the old guy, he, um, he still has the old space Marine reroll. Uh, so right. He, yeah. Which is what we're referring to. There is just the fact that, uh, minuses don't affect the new one where they do affect they do stack in a weird way with the old the way it was right yeah you you apply your yeah. negative modifier after you get your chance to re-roll in the in yep. the old ways so uh, anyway so like they it's just a huge amount of damage output um and then of course the last the last one that i, I didn't mention was the sanguinary the sanguinary ancient um who acts like a lieutenant uh but only in close combat um so he gives the plus one or sorry re-roll ones to wound um so yeah, I mean it's just it's just an enormous number of attacks with with AP value on especially on turn three, um, just kind of like here deal with this in close combat, and then you know you've got some other uh, obviously the tricks after the fact. Yeah, so would it be fair to say that you you were trying to apply that death company to, uh, in essence, you're trying to trade it as positively as you can in the game, right? So whether that's a first term charge with forlorn fury because your opponent left something open or a deep strike charge on turn three, like, like you said, you described a beta strike after they've uh, uh, put brought in their reserves. Like, so that's kind of like the centerpiece of your army in a lot of ways. Um, I would say, I would say that it is, well, okay. I don't know if I would say it's a centerpiece of my army. I would say that it's one of the big pieces, right? Um, before the, before blood of ball, I was running 15 man death company and then a 10 man sanguinary guard. Now I get to run just because of points because they made everything that I was playing better and cheaper, um, which was great. Thank you, GW. Um, you can br- I get two units of Sanguinary Guard, which means I just kind of like can double up and do extra fun stuff. Um, but the uh, the Death Company um, are one one piece. I would actually argue that like they're there to really kind of like psych my opponent out. You know, it's the it's the faint of hand, right? You see the big old nasty battle axe in my left hand. But you don't see, you know, that my shield, my shield on my right, you know, on my right or my left arm, whatever, my shield also has a nasty spike on it that I'm going to get you with, right? So, um, and by what, what I mean by that metaphor is that um, the Sanguinary Guard do almost as much damage and are way, way, way harder to kill. They're way harder to remove. And um, at any point, you know, one of the things that I really realized when I played this list, and this is something that Nick, I'm, I'm sure, knows about and plays with every one of his lists, but I really started to look at this as rather than there being centerpiece models or, hey, I'm thinking about kind of, you know, because when, when, you, when you think about a, a 40K army or when you're like really into like the fluff at the background, you're like, man, look at this, look at this cool thing. And here's my Space Marine captain. And here's this other guy. And these are my guys and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, you start to think in terms of, well, you know, I want to protect that. I don't want to lose that. And competitively, you want to instead think in terms of what can I use this model for? What kind of chess piece is this model and how can I trade it for advantage in the game, right? And, you know, checking their, their king, for instance, right? Um, so I always think of 
that that it's uh i mean it's an expensive bobble but it's it's i can throw it it's, as long as they throw it away in the right way it doesn't matter if it's thrown away well i actually think uh that's a great analogy you just made i couldn't agree more i think what it does for you is it sets the tone for the game for you to play into your strategy really well which is amazing uh and i'll get into that in a second uh and then i want to dive, deep dive into what your strategy actually is and how do you actually get wins with this army so this is what i mean your death company as we discussed are this crazy threat where they, they're like a bomb you can drop on your opponent turn one or turn two or three, depending on if you reserve them or deploy them. Let me interrupt yeah. you for just a moment. You don't even have to do it at that point. It's, it's, it works very similarly, too, because once they're on the table, if my opponent doesn't have something to deal with them out of line of sight, I can still just drop them on the, in my backfield and then on, a, on turn four, five, or six, move them for two CP, and they'll still become a threat, even if they weren't a threat uh, yeah, up until that course. moment. Yeah, but um, basically, my idea here is that, like you said, you want to make your army a beta strike. You want to wait till bottom of turn three once your opponent has to come into reserves, uh, once all the known factors on the board are known except for your stuff, uh, which obviously requires going second, and then start playing the game. The Death Company are very much a tool that could totally scare your opponent into just taking first turn because they're like, I don't want to get hit by that turn one and yes i could deploy super far back and all castled up but like then i've given up all my board control so let me just go first assuming they win the roll and not deal with the death company and you're like thank you very much buddy i'd really want to go second anyway is that yeah no that's exactly my mindset and then of course they they call your bluff kind of like ruben did in this example from before at socal um and they just say i'm gonna go second or maybe you chokes first turn i'm not sure i, I in that then, situation i did because it was the uh because that was there it was it was mission four and i saw his list and i was just like man this is this is a situation where i actually could do this um and it was the only time that i had done it the, the whole tournament yeah but but anyways back to the point here um being able to force your opponent essentially into taking first turn or seceding board control for the first half of the game is really good because obviously um, it lets you play into your strategy. I beg the question from my end. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. What is your strategy? Like, how do you actually win games? And obviously, you have these incredibly hard-hitting combat units that can redeploy whenever they want, assuming you have CP, and get into the mix of things. But fundamentally, if your army is one that wants to go second in ITC, it's one that wants to play the mission. It's one that wants to score the points rather than table the opponent as its primary strategy for winning, which makes total sense. But you've done all these things. You've taken like three, six units of scouts, which are very easy to kill, butcher's bill, kill more. Um, you've taken very little, if any, shooting of merit. So you're not really, unless you're committing huge chunks of your army or very relevant characters, you're not going to be able to get kill on the battle round, like you didn't kill you in a year turn unless you commit something, certainly won't get killed more with all these scouts running around. So you're basically losing the first couple turns of the game, hoping that you can claw it back in turns three, four, five, and six in this beta strike plan you've got here. How do you actually pull that off? So let me start. Um, it, really good question. Let me start with um, 
uh, the, the, the core concept of the list, um, I mean, uh, going back a couple years, I recognized how the game was you're moving, you know, I mean, it, we, we had already dealt with a few things like big shooty, nasty, all flyer lists and stuff like that. And uh, I, I just was tired of trying to play Space Marines because I was playing Space Marines at the time um, as a shooty list. Um, because I was just losing, even with even with things like Ra- like the Raven Guard or Raven Guard successors, um, the Raptors, for instance, uh, I just couldn't outshoot other things. So I wanted to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to a close combat army, and how do I do that with uh, some sort of Space Marine or other? Um, you know, I, I'm I've been very Space Marine centric in, in all my playing um, for years, uh, but uh, how do, how do I do that? And so I started to look at things, and the Blood Angels, you know, had the movement. To the, at least the movement and, and, and these different kind of like stratagems to kind of do that. Um, uh, to start with, especially during, and, I, and I've said this before, um, to the list required, the, for the list to work, and I believe this is still true even now, post Blood of Ball, there has to be good different terrain. If I, if I get a planet bowling ball, I'm going to probably lose, um, especially against a good opponent who has a, a, a good shooty list with maybe even a mix of like a, a, a one or two counter counter charge units but mostly just a, a good shooting list um i'm gonna lose uh if they can you know especially if they can screen and stuff like that uh but if i have some terrain to work with then what i'm gonna do is i'm going to deploy all of my scouts and then i'm gonna i'm gonna deploy aggressively with my scouts i'm gonna put them in the midfield i'm going to accept the fact that butcher's bill is is a possibility that um and a lot, in fact a lot of opponents take take that that's one of the at least before the new changes to the ITC missions, um, that was one of the secondaries they took against me the most. Um, I'm going to accept the fact that they're probably going to get kill more. The trade-off, at least in the early turns, the first two turns, is they're going to have a hard time, unless they have like a Manny Chiwa-style LVO list, they're going to have a hard time taking out uh, my stuff because I'm not, I don't, I'm going to accept that they're going to get kill more. I'm not going to give them as, I'm going to give them as little opportunity as possible to actually see and shoot my units I'm going to just try to stay behind buildings, but you know, behind ruins, behind walls, you know, uh, set, you know, sacrifice a unit of scouts at a time if I need to, to go out and get an objective. Um, you know, with the beginning board control in the middle there, hopefully I should have a great, like a, a pretty good chance of getting hold more. Um, so that offsets my, 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 maybe my losses, my, my being down, uh, against other opponents by like a, a kill and a, a kill, they'll get a kill, a hold, and a whole or kill more. So it'd be three to two in their favor. So I'm not totally losing. I'm just not a, is it, it I, I'm, I'm losing the turn a little bit. But yeah, um, it's not like a five nothing turn. It's right. still getting hold, hold more. They're getting kill, hold, kill more. Right. And as part of that, two, it's not so bad. Right. And as part of that, I'm never going to take, I'm never going to take a, a, I'm never taking secondaries that require me. To, to do things when I don't want to do them. I don't like recon because that means that I have to spend four of my six turns in four different areas, right? I don't want to take, uh, certainly don't want to take old school because I don't want to have to get a first strike. That's, that sounds horrible. Um, I, the secondaries that I liked to take were kind of the ones like, okay, there's core pieces of their list that I want to, that I'm going to eventually take out. You know, I'm going to take, I'm going to mark for death. I'm going to reaper against a, a horde, obviously. So some of the easy gimme ones, and then the one that I really like that was not popular, and and maybe that'll change this season. Who knows? But I took ground control because my because I want to play the game in turns four, five, and six. I want my army to be around, and I want to be. I, I want to. I, I believe 
that for the most part, my army on turns four, you know, three through three through six can take out large portions of their army and still be alive at the end to to hold those objectives at the end of the game. And sometimes I'll even take I'll even take it when there's only three objectives on the table, knowing that I'm not going to get as many, but being secure in the fact that I can play for time. I don't have to do something on a certain timetable. That's that's an important part of, of making the list work is is being patient. Um, yeah, and then uh, and so yeah, early early I'm going to put the scouts out. I'm going to screen out. I'm going to try to hold them more early because that's either going to force my opponent my my opponent's either going to have to just accept okay, well they'll they'll get an angle or they'll have an out of line of sight shooting unit or two and they'll get that uh, they'll get that kill more early than they'll hold. But I'm going to hold more, and so they either accept that and, and take that three to two, which is you know part of my plan, or they're going to come out in the middle. Which is great because if they come out in the middle, that means that then my big units get to play early um, if I want them to, right? I I don't and I don't even have to spin the CP going back to that CP in, intensive thing, right? We talked about it being CP intensive. I'm spending one before the game. I probably have 13 CP, maybe 12 CP before the game begins. And each time that I pick up one of my big units from somewhere else on the table and redeploy it and then give it a three six charge, that's four CP. So I only can do that three times, and that's meaning that that means that I don't spin CP on any other way. I'm not taking a single die reroll. I'm not doing anything to buff my characters, like giving them uh, an extra D3 attacks on charge or sacrificing a character and then using two CP to swing in death. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm, I'm basically just reserving all of my CP for that. And that's not likely. So I really want to make sure that I'm minimizing the amount of times that I have to redeploy a unit across the table just because I don't have the CP to do it too much. And, it, and even having the CP and making you know, the same, same idea as the Death Company being there as a, a potential threat, right? The potential of me forlorn furying at the beginning of the game. Uh, that's more important psychologically. The same, the same applies to that redeploy. If I have four CP or even just two CP, my opponent knows that I can still do that to them, which means that they have to, they have to honor the threat and they have to worry about that. They have to be, they have to be thinking about it and that's going to change the way they play. So... Um, and then, and then, you know, I, I bring, I, I usually deploy one unit of sanguinary guard and reserve um, to start. So the death company and one unit of sanguinary guard and reserve. And then I put the other unit of sanguinary guard uh, as close as I can to the line, but behind some sort of terrain hidden um, in the terrain, preferably, uh, so that they're getting plus one to their two plus armor save, which is, you know, obviously awesome. And then uh, all the characters, or most of all, most all the characters, kind of like deploy in that bubble. Sometimes, since I have some redundancy. I'll keep one of the one of the priests and one of the uh, librarians off the table just in case you know uh, they manage you know the the opponent has eliminators or some other way to just blow characters up and I don't want to lose all of my all of that piece of my buff, um, you know before I get to use them. No, I think that that was a wonderful answer. I appreciate that a lot. Um, Kind of not the question I want to ask, but one that you've kind of inspired upon me is uh, how do you spend your CP? Like you, like you said, you only have twelve to thirteen when you start, and then every big show you want to put on is like a three to four CP expenditure, potentially more. Like you know, forbid you worst case scenario failure eight inch charge with the reroll or with the the thing. I need to CP another one to actually make it. Um, how do you budget your CP? long story short question yeah um yeah well i mean that's exactly it you know i gotta you gotta be really careful i mean sometimes the re-roll the re-roll ones that re-roll that single die is in fact the most important cp you can have um 
you can have in the back pocket, right? Have that CP available, having not spent it in the phase already. Um, you know, yeah, for, I imagine for it a takes clutch, a lot of discipline. Yeah, a clutch, like a clutch reroll uh, armor save, right? Like some of my characters, especially uh, if they all those characters, because all of them except for Lamardes get affected by uh, the standard of sacrifice. Uh, so all of them get that, which means that they they're they're much tougher to kill than you would think. And you know, some of them have the four four plus invulnerable saves, but you know, just being able to be like, hey, in this op- in this situation you know, where I'm in, I'm in combat with like the Sanguinor and I really want him to survive or one of the Sanguinary ancients and they have that two plus save, right? And then a five up film pain, just being like, okay, well, I failed two saves. That's going to be, you know, f- you know, four, four to six damage on, depending on what's sw- swinging at me, I'll go ahead and reroll one of those to try to keep the guy alive. Um, or vice versa. If I don't think that I'm going to be able to survive him, then I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to spend that because then I can only spend two to, to swing in death, which could be, incredible with some of these characters right like uh lamardes with all the buffs gets up to like nine nine attacks or something silly like that and then of course for cp on the charge you could have an extra d3 right so you're talking about like 12 attacks and that guy is hitting like a truck right so um those are kind of factors um and things i want to think about a lot um one of the things i do to help me save on cp is i actually take my sanguinary ancient with the banner as my warlord um, because then I can give him a warlord trait that's flexible, uh, because he's not a named character, so he can kind of choose. And that guy never wants to be in combat. I mean, unless I absolutely have to, he never wants to be fighting. He wants to just be hanging out around a unit of sanguinary guard and the characters and buffing all of them, giving all of them the five up film of pain. Additionally, one of the things that a lot of people forget about is that, or, or, and they also misplay it too. But um, the Sanguinary Guard have a rule that says if they're with with models, specifically models, and there's some argument about the wording on that, but it is, as a, as a judge, the, the way that we always, the way that I've always interpreted, the way the other judges that I work with interpreted it is models that are Sanguinary Guard within six inches of a Blood Angel Warlord get to reroll all there to hit rolls. So you keep him in near a unit of Sanguinary Guard, you know, that initial unit that I put down, that I keep on the table to start with, or, even, or the other unit, um, then all of a sudden, uh, they get, they basically have a chapter master with them. Um, and that's another sure way, surefire way that I don't have, that I can then detach my captain or I don't have to worry about Lamardes actually making his three plus prayer roll or can use his prayer in a different way because I know that I'm going to still get those rerolls to make sure that all those nasty attacks are going to go through. Um, but, uh, originally, sorry, I'm getting off topic a little bit. Uh, I can bring him with the with the ignores morale warlord trait. So units within six ignore morale. And that's the one that sent that um but previously to Blood of Ball, I actually ran the Sanguinor is my warlord most of the time. And that's his war the warlord trait that he comes with. Um but now not even having him as the warlord, which means I can I can throw him in more. And um that Sanguinary Ancient just stands there. And that means that I can kind of I'm already trailing units back, right? The big 15 man squad, one of the things that a lot of people miss, one of the nuances is because it's 15 guys. You can charge a far target, and your got your other characters, your buff support characters have moved up as well, but they can still be far, pretty far back, and they don't have to charge. And you just trail models back, you know, using two inch coherency, right? Because during the charge, you can move how the first model has to go within one inch, but then any other model can move however they want, right? And so there have been times where, you know, I it's like for instance against Ruben at SoCal, I only actually put like six or seven models from the death company unit in to combat. And the rest of them were kind of like trailed back to get the buffs. 
Um, but as long as, and then you can remove casualties how you wish. So as long as you keep the one guy back there that's in, in the range of everybody, then I never have to roll a morale test, which means I'm saving that two CP. Um, you know, I never have to worry about budgeting two CP to keep the unit around. Right. Um, that's come clutch sometimes during when my opponent might get kill more or get, or just get a kill for a marked for death or something like that. And instead, Oh, oh well, also the morale. They don't want to leave just two Thunderhammer Death Company guys there because they can still like go kill a tank or oh yeah, you know, like they like they, they don't want to just leave a couple guys because the amount of damage that they can like two or three guys can do is still a lot. It's significant, right? So it is fairly significant. And additionally, you know, a lot of times when you do a when you use a unit that way where you've killed all the models in between, you're kind of doomed to never being able to move again. But because they're they're death company with jump packs, and also I'm running the plus two, the relic with the plus two move, those guys can all move 14 inches. So even if I'm falling back, that still gives me a much wider, like they can be like 28, 29 inches apart, and I'm still going to be able to re, uh, get coherency back and uh, and move them again. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah definitely. So I, I think you definitely answered the question with uh, the CP and all that, but I guess... Is there like a rule of thumb you stick to or like a, a guideline? Because I'm sure it's so tempting to be like, it's turn two, I got eight CP, that's plenty for later on. Uh, I want to fight twice with right now, my secondary. Well, this, yeah, I, a lot of times, uh, and, I, and I talked about, you know, how as long as my death company, as long as my death company make, make the, get in and, and die for a good purpose, right? Um, then, then that then they were worth it, right? But I will often spend three CP to swing again with them because I'll have charged multiple things, or I'll just want to be able to make that extra six inches of movement, right? I want that. I want to be able to consolidate, you know, pile in and consolidate around stuff so that I can, um, so that I can hold something in combat, right? Um, that's fairly important. Yeah, of course. So, do you, would you say you often spend CP early and then have not much CP towards the la half, later half of the game, or are you really just stingy about it, where you can do like one unit a turn for three turns of the game? Kind of thing? I'm, I, I, well, yeah, I, in theory, I would love that, um, but probably, honestly, um, more realistically, I'm only ever going to get to redeploy and redeploy, do do a full redeploy and charge once, which is one of the reasons why it's important to me that I keep my. Um, that I keep my big, my at least two of my three big units in reserve to begin with, because that saves me two CP initially, right? I don't have to redeploy them from already being on the table. I instead can just be like, okay, well, when they come in from reserve, then I spend two CP and they get to charge 3d6. Yeah, and that actually segues me into my last question really well. Um, so, so you're going to run to armies that can screen, especially with flying screens. Oh, yeah. Eldar. I don't want to get too specific into the Eldar Tower matchup just yet, because we're going to talk about that all in uh, part two. But there's armies that have like tons of trash, guard, uh, just screens on screens on screens. So having that timer on your army, being like, I have to show up by turn three, go first, go second, doesn't matter to me. Just, uh, you know, you're going to end up charging crap. Um, when you show up with your big, powerful units and charging in 15 Death Company for 20, 30 Guardsmen doesn't really feel worth it at all, and similarly with the secondary Guard. So how do you deal with that? Or like Richard Siegler and his two-man drones, without being specific to a specific matter? Right. Well, it, well, obviously, if they don't have fly, then 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 what you do is you, you of course, you say, okay, well, I'm going to charge unit A 
uh, but I'm going to be, you know, with nine inches away from unit B and a bunch of my guys are going to, are going to go and, and tag a guy in that, in unit B, right. you know, exactly. and trap them, you know, not having to swing at them. So that, I mean, that's, that's the easy answer. But then if, if you have a bunch of screens that have fly, well, that's actually some, that was one of the weaknesses. And one of the things that I, at SoCal, which was my last big tournament, um, that I played them with uh previous to blood of ball when I, ha- I haven't played them i haven't played them in a big tournament since but um i obviously was judging at lvo i didn't get to play um but i uh the 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 big uh, i was trying to think well what do i do at this point because that's a, that's a problem i'm having how do i clear some of these screens and so um the list that I've, you know, played with at a local RTT and one, and then kind of like I've been theory crafting is the one that I'm currently using, but that doesn't mean that I couldn't change some stuff. You can easily get at five, five death company, uh, which is the minimum size with jump packs is like, uh, it's like a hundred points or something, I think, or it's, it's maybe even 90 points now or something. So like you could get a couple of cheap units that still have a pretty, pretty good offensive output and that's another one of those reasons where it's like hey maybe i sacrifice these scouts maybe i throw these scouts in and they die uh early but i don't care about that even if they get killed more because what i'm doing is preparing the way in the future for future turns to kind of like clear some of these screens out um try to try to like you know make it so that i that i can really get to the meat of their army um but, but but alternatively, if you know if I've got the terrain, which you know again the premise of this list actually working is that I have some decent terrain, right? Um, if 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 I have that, then I can uh, I can kind of play play on the fact that my sanguinary guard and especially with the banner and then my characters beyond that are really hard to pull off the board, right? And if I'm running like at some point, you know, as things kind of turn, like they may have some more killmores or whatever. But if I've denied them a lot of their secondaries. You know, other than say, like if they took Butchersville or whatever, right? Um, but if I've denied them some of their other their other secondaries and stuff like that, and I play for near the end of the game, then they're gonna they're gonna have a hard time. They're gonna be in trouble uh, because they can't get killed. They can't get kills out of me anymore. They can't get points out of me uh, because my stuff's too hard to get rid of. Now, obviously, that doesn't talk about the like the extreme lists, like the, <laughs> like a Manny Chiwa, you know, abusing Forge World type list, but you know, the, the best chance I have against that is, you know, I'm going to discuss that in the second half, but basically the idea is it's a work in progress, I guess is the right answer. You know, there's, I have some, I have some ideas, I have some thoughts and, uh, you know, there, there may be a bit untested so far. Yeah. Fair enough. There's uh, you know, every combat army has to face these problems. I was just curious what your take on it was. I think I have the I think I have the tools to deal with it. It's just a question of how I want to empl- employ those. And 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 what what it's saying what's saying to me short term short answer is I'm thinking of bringing an, some small cheap units of Death Company or or the like to just kind of like throw away to kill screens because I don't really because again it's like you know pawn pawn takes pawn so that you know queen can capture queen kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. So I guess if if I'm hearing you right, your your sort of overall strategy in ITC is to try and set up a situation to where you get to come in second and dominate the back half of the game 
where you get all of your bonuses, like your your super doctrine, which gives you the extra attack under the charge. And then you have a combat army, right? So there's a lot of armies that basically once you get mixed up together, like you're gonna feel like you're gonna have the advantage against most opponents in the combat phase, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like even even other space marines. Um, Richard Siegler took the time uh, to pay me just an incredible compliment at LVO. He said. You know, hey, I'm looking forward to when you come back to play again uh, because I'm, you know, interested to see what you're going to do with the Blood Angels. But I'm also really glad you're not playing here because your list is the one that John and I were really feared when we created this list. So that that was like another feather in my cap to to use the term again. That really just kind of was like, wow, this is this is really great. Yeah, I mean, congratulations! You're being successful with Blood Angels and something that many have tried and failed at for years. Hey, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I mean, we'll get into this into the second half of the episode, but now I want to hear. Okay, well, I'm just going to tease this. We're going to actually talk about this in in part two, our tactics discussion here in a minute. Uh, that's for patrons, but we're going to talk about how your list stacks up against that Broviathan list because it is currently a scourge upon the meta. So if there is something that can help bully that out, and if it's Blood Angels, like everybody's got Blood Angels, like they're, right, they're, so we're about to have a real talk in part two where I. Decide on playing Blood Angels on Adepticon after our conversation. Ah, right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. But um, is, is this Yellow before, Blood Angels? Before we move on too hard, uh, I want to just ask one more question uh, well, before we get into the Pat Tactics portion. Um, how would you change your list for other formats, or if you have any considerations for the new ITC stuff that's being tested? Um, how do you, does it work, your current version, or is there anything you? need to change you think well and yeah good good question i um i have i <laughs> i helped i helped write them i helped write the, the, <laughs> the changes but i uh, i haven't had the opportunity to play with it um actually one of the things that i've kind of got going uh, i'm just gonna you know plug this real quick i actually and it, I, I believe it's going to be announced as an alternative uh but i actually kind of like seized upon this idea of making a an itc version of uh of the maelstrom cards with like a specific maelstrom deck that was created using uh, itc secondaries and um so i really got interested in that and i just kind of like grabbed that and, and did it and then um my my i was running it at an rtt and and somebody leaked it and so people and this was before the beta the, the beta missions the official beta missions got um leaked and so there were people that were like oh is this the new th- format no it's crazy and no, it's not the new format, but it, it's something that that might be an alternative that people can use. Um, but based on that idea, um, I, I think my list would run real well. And maybe that's kind of just a biased thing because I, of course, you know, created, uh, helped create, or you know, created this new I, Maelstrom ITC format that may or may not actually be played. Um, and uh, I. Uh, so that might be some bias, but I think that um, it, as far as other other things, I definitely there would be a definite struggle in any kind of format. Uh, you mentioned Adepticon, where their terrain, where where I can't, I don't, I don't have the option to hide. It it really, it really makes things more difficult. Um, and that's and that's uh, I and I don't know. I honestly don't know if Blood Angels have a an answer. Um. I don't. I, I, there are other lists. We mentioned the bro, the 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 Brothiathan list, or other just regular Space Marine lists, uh, or, or other shooty lists that are going to be better off than um, than the 
blood angels are in in certain formats just because they can't they can't shoot as well as other armies um i, I don't really care how hard you try their other armies are just going to shoot better and more efficiently and so why are you wasting the points trying at least that's my opinion gotcha so basically if it's it's not so much the mission format is my understanding it's a lot more so you need terrain so an itc or nova there's like some degree of promise terrain um, whereas like in a random RTT or some other formats like Adepticon, it's kind of a crap show on which table number you get. Um, yeah, sometimes you can very, get, sometimes you can be in trouble. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's more terrain than the format is, is the answer. I'm I think so, yeah. I think, that, I think that the list can play, I mean, I, honestly, every format is some variety of, hey, hold something in XYZ position and, uh, and or, um, kill something in xyz way right and so the list the list can hold stuff the list can kill stuff it just depends on whether or not the list can survive to get to those places to do those things sure that makes a lot of sense so that's gonna be it for me john unless you have any more questions for mr thomas here no i just want to thank thomas for taking the time to sort of break down a very unique army that we haven't had the opportunity to to talk about on our war yet um, Thomas, is there any place people can find more information from you? Like, I know, for example, that you write for Frontline Gaming. Um, I, I, well, if- <laughs> I vaguely write for Frontline Gaming. Sometimes, like, I'm <laughs> sometimes I sometimes I write a lot. Sometimes I'm I'm pretty lazy about it. Um, but yeah, like, there's some articles from uh, my undefeated uh, placing at um, the Boise Cup last last year. I, I broke down very thoroughly all my games and the list. Sands the blood of ball changes. Um, is, is very similar. Um, I go into all the details about all of the, all that. Those are, you can find those on the tactics corner on frontlinegaming.org. Um, uh, you, I mean, anyone is welcome to hit me up on Facebook. I'm, I'm fairly, I'm fairly active on Facebook and I'm and totally willing to talk to anybody, listen to anybody and, and, and talk, you know, tactics. Um, and, uh, yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, I guess with that, I'm just going to invite all of our patrons to join us on uh, our tactics discussion, where we're going to discuss how Blood Angels completely destroy uh, Iron Hands. This is this is the narrative in my mind, anyway. This is what I'm hoping for. So, um, so I invite you guys to come um, check it out. If you haven't signed up for our Patreon yet, I'm just going to point out that we've got a lot of the best players in the world with great discussions on there. So you know, we've talked to Jim Vessel, T.J. Lanigan, Austin Wingfield. Justin Curtis, and not just chaos players. We've got, you know, Brian Pullen, uh, Richard Siegler, John Lennon, Thomas Hegstrom Oakley. Like, Appreciate we, it. yeah, we just, and, we, and international players. We got Liam Hackett, Eric Lathuris, Tony Chu. Yeah. Um, Manny Chima. We're, we're trying to get everything for you guys. Yeah. So, but, uh, and I think what the real value is now, at least from a value proposition, is, you know, this is going to be episode, I think, 29 or 30. So there's there's 30 different discussions with high-level players going into really technical details on how they play their lists. And it's something that is um, not only applicable in like playing against their list or playing with their list, but it'll cause you to go down uh, thoughts on your own, thinking about the way you play and take concepts from other high-level players with what they're doing and it'll make you just better at the game. And I've heard that from lots of our patrons. So that's my pitch. You guys should come check out our Patreon. It's only $6 a month. Totally worth it. It'll be linked in the show notes. As always, you can find us on the Frontline Gaming Network, which is the place for competitive 40K. Uh, And again, I'll just list off some of the players you can listen on there. We've got 
you know, Val Helfelfinger and, and Peter the Falcon doing their caca thing, uh, talk, doing, talking about stats. Um, Brandon Grant, uh, Scar, Archon Scari, Pablo, um, Nick Nadavati. Like, you know, we just have a murderer's row of really good competitive players uh, that talk about the game on several different podcasts. You know, The Godfather, Reese. So, and Pablo. I did say Pablo already. Yeah. <laughs> Pablo, Pablo is like me. Right, so we're just minority representation. Uh, what <laughs> what's that? You're, you're, a, you're a fantastic player. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Art of War. And uh, patrons, we'll see you on the other side. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.